Bagseed Chronicles is a podcast about cannabis and the people who enjoy it. I hope to provide commentary about cannabis cultivation, cannabis enjoyment, cannabis as an herbal remedy, and hopefully continued cannabis liberation. Now join me, Uncle Dig, and let's overgrow the world. everyone, welcome back to Bagseed Chronicles. This is Uncle Dig, and today we're going to talk about some essentials in the garden, some chickens in the garden, and a little bit of history. So let's get started. Today we're going to talk about different sources for genetics. One of my favorites over the course of my growing time has been bagseed. Now all bagseed is is seed that you find in cannabis or that you find loose in other kinds of cannabis material and that you just pop. You don't often know exactly what it is. Um, so it's always kind of an interesting journey of discovery. Now, bag seed is cool because it teaches you about the plant. It forces you to pay attention and it sometimes rewards you with unique colors and flavors that are high, hard to find or exceptionally weird. Fun mutations are more likely to occur with bag seed. Plus, it's super fun not to exactly know what you will have until you can smoke it or consume it. Now, there are some cons to bag seed. Bag seed can be male. It can be runty. It could have small buds. It could have unpredictable flowering times. These challenges can make it hard to successfully grow bag seed in some locations. If you have a short growing season or want to ensure success on your first crop, bag seed may not be the nice the best option for you. For example, uh, this last win this last winter I grew some purple panty dropper from bag seed and it turned out to be a hundred percent male. It was devastating because um, I really wanted more purple weed. Clones are good. They're pretty consistent and they can provide you with decent yields and a predictable crop. Now, I have grown clones in the past, but they're never my primary uh, method of growing because clones don't have a taproot. Um, the way they make clones is by cutting a clone off of a mature cannabis plant. And when they do that, that will grow lateral roots, branching roots, but it won't grow that big, beefy taproot that really sucks up water and really helps seedlings outperform clones once they reach maturity and as you can tell my best results have been with seeds if you don't want to grow from bag seed then there are plenty of reputable breeders to choose from feminized seeds are good if you worry about culling males but watch out for hermaphroditic traits like stray male flowers so they don't pollinate your crop there is no way other than cloning to uh, completely ensure that your plant won't demonstrate hermaphroditic traits, even if it's feminized. So periodically, always check for sex, even when you think you know what you've got. It's just, it can avoid a lot of problems. Now, when I talk about hermaphroditic traits, what I'm talking about is when a cannabis plant flowers and it shows both female flowers and male flowers and sometimes those male flowers 
that it shows won't be very large or easy to see. So you really want to get up close in the crooks of the branches and kind of keep an eye on what your plant is doing. And there's tons of online references you can look up to see what different male and female flowers look like. And those can really help you um, determine whether your plant is male or female. Now, generally outdoors, at least here in Oregon, males and male flowers will sometimes show before females will. So sometimes you'll be able to pull your males in like July before your females have even been blooming as far as sexing cannabis is concerned. A gardener's best friend, chickens. Now, as I promised before in the last episode, today we're going to talk about why I like chickens in my garden and how they've helped me. Um, they're really good for organic pest control. I mean, they eat everything. Sometimes they'll eat your beneficials too, so you got to watch out for that. And you kind of do have to prevent them from entering certain places you don't want them. But uh, they're amazing for slug and snail control specifically. Um, and also, they give you free, cruelty-free food in the form of their eggs. You can let your chicken run all over the place, do whatever it wants, and then just pick up its eggs. It's free food. They're going to do it in any way. Why, why not benefit? I never understood why, as long as they're free range, why eggs aren't part of... Uh, of any like back to earth like vegan or vegetarians like source of food because you can really have a almost completely symbiotic relationship with your chickens. Um, also, um, it's kind of nice to have a companion in the garden if you do find any large pests that's happy to go ahead and eat those right after your out of your hand. And it's always nice to have the company in the garden, and I enjoy them. Also provides you with free nitrogen-rich fertilizer in the form of their bedding and their feces. So that's why I think chickens are good to have in the garden. Now, some people say, "Oh, well, you shouldn't have chickens uh, co-located with your cannabis garden." That's not true. If you keep your coop clean, they're probably not going to have mites or whatever. And honestly, a lot of those same people will let dogs in their garden, which is just asking for nasty-tasting cannabis with mold and nasty stuff in it. Because let's face it, dogs love everybody, and they rub up on everybody they love and everything, so they tend to bring pests in the garden. So if you have a dog, maybe um, ensure it's clean, or maybe just don't let it into the cannabis portion of your garden any more than you'd let it dig in your food plots. Now, some things you might want to think about, like not getting chickens, if you don't have the space, obviously you don't want to have chickens in an apartment or on a very, very small plot of land. Um, you also kind of want to have an appropriate amount of chickens for your area. And something that you need to be ready to do is to take responsibility for your chicken's existence, i.e. if it gets injured and it's cost prohibitive to take it to the vet, you're going to have to put that animal out of its misery or dispose of it in somehow. And sometimes predators get a hold of them and you have to clean that up. And it's not always, always pleasant. So remember that when you're taking any kind of livestock into your home or your garden, that 
livestock can become injured. It can become ill. It, a lot of bad things can happen to it. And you need to be ready to, to either take care of that animal or dispose of that animal, whichever is appropriate. And there are some interesting laws about, you know, what you need to do with a chicken when it's sick and stuff. But I am not the expert on that. Um, but you should definitely uh, look into uh, the CDC's website about some of the uh, diseases that chickens can be a vector for and also do your own research and make sure that it's an appropriate decision for you and your family before you get chickens. I love them, but they do require a small amount of work. Let's hash out some history. When I was a child, my mother used to take me to the Willowbrook Mall in Houston to do some shopping from time to time. Whilst there, sometimes she would let me wander around with an earshot. I used to stop in front of the store. I think it was an express men, but I'm not 100% sure. In the windows of the store, they had a very large print of Napoleon crossing the Alps in the window. I used to stare at Napoleon's hair swept across his face, his look of confident determination, the wild-eyed look of his horse. When Jacques Louis David painted Napoleon, he distilled his admiration for his subject in the piece. And if you look at the piece with an open heart, you will feel the love and admiration for the petite corporal that the piece commands you to feel. I have a small poster replica of the painting in my studio. I love it that much. In fact, we may have Napoleon at least partially to thank for the reintroduction of cannabis to France and the rest of Europe in the early 1800s. Now, that's why Napoleon has a place in my wall. When Napoleon's troops arrived in Egypt, they were disappointed to learn, like many soldiers from the West who tread on Muslim lands, that alcohol was both illegal and worse yet, near impossible to come by, so when looking for substitutes, they found hash. Much like some U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan did, and I'm sure continue to do today. You might be asking yourself, what is hashish? Well, hash, or hashish, is a concentrated cannabis. It is somewhat stronger than cannabis, as it concentrates the parts of the plant that has the most THC and other in active ingredients. It's basically pressed trichomes, which are the small structure on the plant that hold most of the active ingredient. Long story very, very short, the French supply lines weren't up to the task, especially not with all the British naval harassment. So the French gave up in Egypt and came home. And when they did, those troops brought home as much hash as they could carry, starting a bit of a cannabis cultural revolution in France. French literary society embraced hashish, resulting in many fascinating social experiments. In fact, Alexandre Dumas, author of The Three Musketeers and The Count of Monte Cristo, was a more illustrious member of the Paris Hash Eaters Club. But that is a story for another day. Often, people credit Napoleon as the first French prohibitionist. He, however, didn't issue the order to French troops in Egypt to stop consuming cannabis or hashish, an order they mostly ignored. That dubious distinction goes to Jacques-François 
Abdullah Minot, the French commander of the French Army of the Orient at the time. According to historians, Napoleon had no knowledge or probably interest in the order. Sometimes war has unintended consequences, and we never know what they will be. It's best not to enter it so lightly. I hope that cannabis can bring people more peace in the future and less conflict. A short aside about Napoleon's wars of conquest and just colonialism in general. Um, colonialism is always bad. It always negatively affects the people being colonized and makes monsters out of the colonizers. Wars are usually that way too. To everyone in Texas and the southern part of North America struggling with the storm or the aftermath of this winter weather we're having, my thoughts are with you. Please stay safe. Spring is coming soon. Let's overgrow the world. Thank you for listening to Bagseed Chronicles. You can contact me on Instagram at Uncle Dig or at my email, UncleDig4 at gmail.com. The producer of the music found on this podcast is Chad DeVillier. He can be found on YouTube at Ukuleles Are Stupid and on Instagram at Chadwick Enterprises. 